Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. In a minute, I'm going to get to my conversation with ESPN's Lewis Riddick. He talks about the drafting of Dwayne Haskins, why he is so ecstatic about that kid, and then also about the maturation of Redskins owner Daniel Snyder. He has seen some changes. Later, I have a conversation with former NFL scout Tyler Roman. He's going to break down some of the lesser-known Redskins draft picks from this year and last year. Can they become future starters? But first, here's my conversation with ESPN's Lewis Riddick. So now I'm joined by ESPN's Lewis Riddick, has a wealth of experience, both played, front offices, analyst, top, one of the top analysts out there, period. So I greatly appreciate him coming on. And Lewis, I'm going to start right with Dwayne Haskins because I know before the draft, you were very high on him. Why were you so yeah. high on Dwayne? I think it's his football intelligence, first and foremost. And you can recognize those kinds of things, that kind of thing in a quarterback just based on the decisions that he makes on the football field in crucial situations, the ability to recognize front coverage, put the ball where it needs to be put from a decision-making process. And one of those kinds of guys, he was one of those kinds of guys who even in the course of a game where things weren't going well for him, he eventually figured it, figured it out, which takes a high degree of football intelligence and a high degree of you know football character. And that's what attracted the attracted me to him even more so than his just outright physical ability which when you watch it is I believe spectacular and when you watch it in person it impresses you even more the kid can throw the football flat out throw the football and it moves through the air in a way that instantly kind of resonates with you in terms of he has special arm talent and I hate that word but that's what he has (laughs) Mm -hmm. he's special in that way it's going to be I felt all along that where he went was going to be the biggest deciding factor, even more so than him, because he's going to put in the work. It's where he goes, or rather I thought where he went was going to be the determining factor as to just how high this kid eventually ascended in terms of how he was looked at in regards to the rest of the league. Washington has, you know, a big task in front of them as far as making sure that he has the right weapons around him, particularly on the perimeter. They have a strong running game. You know that. You cover this team right. better than anybody. You know they have the weapons in the backfield. You know they have an offensive line that provided all these guys stay healthy, that they'll be able to control the line of scrimmage. It's just can they get a tight end that'll stay healthy, a wide receiver that's a true number one that'll stay healthy, a slot receiver to replace a guy like Jameson Crowder that'll stay healthy, and a coaching staff that will stay behind him, stay committed to him, stay in place, and – help this kid have the career that he deserves to have. And, and it's funny that you, first of all, it's funny that you bring up the, not funny, but you bring up the intelligence part because in doing multiple stories on him going back to when he first started in football, that's been the constant theme all along. So that's like, that's, I'm not surprised that you bring that up, but looking at like this, the skills on the field, because he only has the 14 games that he started. What are the things mm-hmm. that you say, okay, this is what he has to develop to get to the point where he's who I think he'll be. Well, I think Dwayne would be the first person to tell you this, too, what I'm about to say, and that is consistently being able to throw 
off-platform where he's not able to have his feet set and everything right. rhythmically, you know, situated perfectly for him, can he still deliver the football and put it where it needs to be put? And he had some instances this past year where it just didn't turn out that way, and he made some throws that had you scratching your head going, okay, so when it's not perfect, when the pocket isn't clean, or when he has to move off of, off of the, you know, intended spot can he still make those plays down the field now he also made some that were spectacular but it's the consistency factor in that way i think that's where he's going to have to make the biggest improvement that's something i know he worked on hard this offseason it was something he emphasized at his pro day and i think it's going to be a continual work in progress after that look he's just going to be a guy who's going to benefit from having more reps and getting more looks to where the processing speed continues to increase from the already accelerated level it's already at. But I think that's where that's where he's going to make his biggest improvement. Off-schedule throws, when the platform isn't perfect, uh, can you still, more times than not, you know, in that high 65 70% range, be the guy who can put the ball where it needs to be put? Simple as that. And, and you know, and I'm going to preface this question by saying, you know, when I always look at you know, there's all this talk is he can be ready for week one, and my point would always be make him a good quarterback. Don't worry, you know, about week one as yeah. much as making him a good quarterback. As a guy who played in the league and scouted these guys and now analyzes, when do you know, do you ever, or how do you, what are the signs that you would look for to say, okay, he's ready to go play? Yeah, if I was there, I think it would be just his, it's, it's hard, obviously, I mean, as, as, you're, as you're alluding to, it's hard to really know. I think it's, whether or not you thought one, he can he can identify things pre-snap to the to the point where he's able to give himself the tools, or rather, give himself the options to get them out of bad place and in a good place, and make him, you know, make it reasonable that he'll have a high degree of success, you know, from one place to the mm-hmm. next. I think so. Mentally, you'd want to feel as though he's able to not only master what you're doing offensively, but have enough recognition defensively to where, you know, he can get us out of bad place, put us in a good place. Two, the situations that come up in games that really define high-level quarterback play. Does he feel comfortable in third down? Does he feel comfortable in two-minute situations? Does he feel comfortable in the red zone? If he's showing that he's comfortable in those areas in practice in the preseason games to the point where you feel as though he'll give himself a chance to succeed because those are where those are really the tipping points in NFL games those situations right. right there then you would probably feel comfortable enough to put him out there and then lastly even though this is something that has nothing to do with him I would be looking at just the rest of the people around him is the offensive line healthy right do we have enough running backs to where we know that if he gets himself into trouble, we can just turn around and hand it off to the guys in the backfield and take some pressure off of them? And, but, and most importantly, do we have enough weapons on the outside that are going to be able to win in those third down three, third down and five, third down and six situations where you know he's going to get pressured, they're going to have to beat man-to-man, can they beat man-to-man coverage? Or is he going to be sitting there holding the ball going, nobody's open, and then all of a sudden you know, getting his head knocked off? That would ruin. So I think, and I think that that's the part that for me will probably cause me the most pause. Mm-hmm. Why I have said, John, I'd like to see him sit. I don't know if Washington has that last part. I don't know if they have those guys that can win one on one. Right. So where Dwayne isn't holding the football and getting hit, and that's what scares me. That's why I said, let him sit until you feel as though you have that part of it covered. 
And you, you know, it's funny because I think there are some people here who they keep, the word number one word I keep hearing, Lewis, is patience. You got to have patience with yep. this kid. You know this organization, <laughs> having worked here before, and mm. you know it's obviously been a little while, but you know how this thing works. Do you think that the organization will be patient and allow and give him that that luxury to develop that way? Well, I think they want to be. I know that. I know they are conscious of it. They are very much so aware of how much that would benefit him. But even more so than their relative lack or, you know, having enough patience, lack of patience or having enough patience, I think the fan base around there, that city, <laughs> the surrounding areas, they're, they're going to want to see Dwayne play. Yep. They just are. And as much respect as I have for Case Keenum, Case is not Dwayne. They're not in the same zip code. They're just not. When Dwayne throws the football in the preseason, people are going to go, I want more of that. <laughs> I don't care if they don't have wide receivers. I want to see that because that's what will make me come to the stadium and buy these tickets and buy his jersey and buy these hot dogs and buy this beer. Is I want to see that kid play, and that's where the pressure is going to come from. They're going to tell themselves, yeah, we need to be patient. Fan base isn't going to want to be patient because, I mean, you, you know, they, yes. they, they want excitement. They haven't had it. No. He, he represents hope, and that, that's a lot to put on a young man like that. That's why I say when you draft somebody like this, make sure you're setting the table, especially in a city like that where they're going to be screaming for him. Absolutely, because you look at their first four of their first five games are Philly, Dallas, Chicago, and the Patriots. So that's a tough start. So if you get off to a, a rough start, they're going to be calling. If he's not already in there, they're going to be calling for him frantically because I haven't yeah. seen this much hope from the fan base about a player since Robert Griffin III was here. And I think hope matters to a fan base. There's, there's no doubt. And I, I think, I think what, what's going to happen here is the hope is going to change the expectation quickly because look, I, 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 I need to say this the right way, but there's really only one way to say it. Dwayne Haskins is twice the thrower of Robert Griffin. Okay? Yeah. He's twice the quarterback of Robert. Robert Griffin was never a good pocket quarterback. He was never the guy who, on third down, when he, if you could, on first and second down, when Kyle and Mike, the Shanahan's, were able to really utilize play action and be more creative, and there was a lot more doubt as to what they were going to try and do offensively to a defense, and defenses really didn't know what was coming. Robert was spectacular. Yep. Spectacular. When it came to third down, and you're sitting in the pocket, and you don't have the benefit of play action, and it's third and six, third and seven plus. People can start, then they know, okay, now we got you boxed in. Now we can start doing some things to you. He folded like a lawn chair. Yep. That not, was not his, was his forte. He didn't have the football intellect of, of, of Dwayne Haskins. They're not even, I don't, I mean, I know he won the Heisman Trophy and he was one of those guys who I was impressed by too when he came out of Baylor. But this, this is a legit, legit franchise quarterback. And they need to protect this young man and set the table for him because he truly, since I left there in 2008, in all that time I went there in 2001, they have not had anything like him since 2001. Nothing. And I was there with Jason Campbell, and I was there, you know, and yeah. I was there with Patrick Ramsey. They have had nothing like Dwayne. They need, they need to realize they have something special here and make sure they set the table for him in every way they can. I agree with everything you just said because just being around him, I watched him at Ohio State, so I saw every every throw he made there. 
and just getting to know him, talking to people, I think it goes back to the base that he has. The intellect and the work ethic is a big deal. I want to jump back to one last thing on Dwayne, um, you know, the coaching staff. Is this, if all things, you know, you can't take away the job security part of it because that's an issue. But when you yeah. look at the staff, is this a good staff for him with what they do and how they treat um, quarterbacks? Yeah, there, there's a lot of brain power, particularly for quarterbacks to tap into there as far as the coaching staff is concerned. I mean, obviously, Jay has played the position. Kevin O'Connell was a third-round pick. He's played the position. Tim Rattay has played the position. Matt Cavanaugh has played the position. Even Doug Williams has played the position. That's a lot. But at the same time, it's how is all of that channeled and utilized to where it's something that Dwayne can digest and make it all usable, make it all positive to where it can help him on the football field. Who are the voices? What is the message? How are the corrections made? And then how is he able to utilize it? So it, it looks great. It's, it's the right setup so far in terms of how the, the brain power that they have there. Now it's just implementing it, utilizing it so Dwayne can, can benefit from it. That's what remains to be seen. So right. we'll see. Kevin, Kevin O'Connell is one of those guys who I know I myself, you know, if I'm ever to get back in the league and be a GM, that's a guy people continually put on my radar and talk about as hmm. you have to watch this young man. You have to keep an eye on him. He needs to be the main, the main voice in Dwayne Haskins' ear. He's the one that they need to let really guide him through the early part of his career and the early part of his, his, his rookie season until he eventually becomes a head coach somewhere because people think that he is special. We'll see. We'll see how Jay manages all that. You know when it comes to people in particular who call plays and who coach quarterbacks, yeah. those guys have some of the biggest egos in the NFL, <laughs> period, in professional sports, period, because they all either have been former quarterbacks or they all have been given that power to coach the most, most important position in all sports. So they all think they're geniuses. They all think they have all the answers. And a lot of times, as we know, they don't. So that's going to be, I think, the most imp- one of the most important jobs that Jay has this year, that being Jay Gruden. Who do we have as the primary voice in Dwayne's ear? And how do we get the information to him? How do we help him digest it? How do we make the corrections and keep on, you know, having this train move in the right direction? Lewis, I just got a couple more things here. One thing I do want to talk about um, with Dan Snyder. From the outside, do you think Dan has evolved as an owner? Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, and you're, I mean, and you're right by saying from the outside because I don't, I don't know how right. it works from day to day, although you know that I know plenty of people there who can tell me how things are working on the inside. He does things much different now. He is not the everyday presence that he was before. He is not the guy who used to call me and ask me to come over to his office and talk about the roster and talk about moves and talk about strategy the same way he used to. He's not involved with it that way. He has tried to evolve and, and entrust people in power that he's put into place to make those decisions. I talked to him briefly before Philadelphia played Washington on Monday night just this past year when we were doing the Monday night broadcast on the field. He came up to me, and, and we actually started talking. And even in that brief conversation, I could tell he's a different person than he used to be. You can tell, I mean, with age comes wisdom, comes calmness. You just kind of look at things differently. And we had a great conversation. I kind of like left that conversation going, that was pretty cool. Huh. That was different. And uh, now obviously it was just a, a small a small amount of time, but – he does seem like a different guy, and you can never, you can never fault Dan for 
not wanting to win because he's always wanted to win. It's just how he's gone about it that right. hasn't always been the most productive way of doing it. But he seems like a different person. I got two more things for you on the GM part. How much is that a factor for you? Like, I mean, if you go by Twitter, which is a, you know, there's a million people on Twitter who would have hired you as a GM yesterday. How much is that? How much <laughs> yeah. is that? Uh, first of all, how how flattering is that? But also. How much do you, are you, do you still would like to get back in the game? You have a great job now. You do a great job for ESPN. I don't want to lose you with our company. But how much is sure. that still a part of your thought process? Well, everybody knows that in the right situation, it's something I'd want to do. I mean, it's, I, I want to try and build a team. I want to try and build a football operation. I think I'd have some, there's some great people I'd love to work with and actually put it all together and see if we can you know, win a championship. There, there's no doubt that that is ultimately – the number one thing I'd like to do from a career goal perspective on that side of things. So it is something that still is a, is a goal of mine. I don't, I don't let it consume me. Although sometimes it does, uh-huh. it really does affect me, especially at the, at the time of year where there's a lot of change going sure. on, which is obviously at the end of the season, all the talk that goes on after the draft. And as far as how I react to people, you know, saying, you know, I would hire you right now. Why does this seem blah, blah. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I've talked to people about this. It's flattering, and at the same time, it's very, very frustrating because <laughs> yeah. hear that and hear it come from all different angles, and hear it come from some of my peers in the media, some people who are just fans, people who are ex-players that I've played with or players that are playing right now. They're going, man, you need to be back in the league. That's where you belong. I sit there and I go, damn, all these people are saying this. And then they go, why aren't you back in the league? It's like, well, I can't tell them to give me the job. <laughs> yeah. they, somebody yeah. has to allow me to have it. So it can be frustrating, too, but uh, – I try to take it all in stride, John, and just uh, if it's meant to be, it'll happen at some point. I, I, I mean, I would advocate for it, but I don't want to lose you with ESPN, but I think it would be a fantastic move for anybody. Very last question. Yeah. Have the Redskins done enough in this offseason? And we just saw, you know, Reuben Foster go down, but have they done enough this offseason mm-hmm. to, to become a factor maybe in the NFC East? You know what? As I alluded to earlier when we were talking about Dwayne, I just don't know if they have enough weapons if they have enough people on the perimeter of their offense to really have it be where they can score enough points to really be a threat on a consistent basis. Because right now, if you're defending the Redskins, you're putting 11 in the box, basically. And you're saying, look, Adrian Peterson, Darius Geis, you're not going to run the ball on us. We're not going to let you just pound the ball down our throat. We're going to put it on Case Keenum or Dwayne Haskins or whoever's playing quarterback for us and prove that you can throw to a very nondescript group of wide receivers. That's the thing that scares me about it. I mean, are they going to be able to put up enough points? If you can't throw the football and be explosive and stretch defenses, you're going to have a problem. And I think that's going to be the Achilles heel of the Redskins this year. Lewis, I appreciate you joining me, and this was great. I know people always learn. Absolutely. People always learn whenever you're talking, and, and, and I'm myself included. That's why I've enjoyed talking to you over the years. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, John. All right. Coming up, a conversation with former NFL scout Tyler Roman. But first, I'm going to answer some of your questions that you sent to me on Twitter. Okay, welcome back, and now it's time for a little Twitter mailbag. And I got about five minutes for this. Try to get through as many questions as possible. First up, from Nicholas Wilson. 
how will carries be distributed among the running backs? In an ideal situation, I would see the breakdown probably this way. Darius Geis in that 15 to 18 range. Adrian Peterson, 6 to 9. And Chris Thompson in that 5 to 6 range. Thompson, of course, would get other touches, but we're just talking about carries. Now, the question will be, when did it get to that point? My thought had been for a while that it would take, you know, it would take Geis a little bit of time to ease back into that sort of a full-time role um, as he recovers from the ACL. Well, I was talking to somebody in the offseason or a couple of weeks ago, and they they dismiss that. They feel like Geis could be ready to take that role right away. Let's get through training camp before we really see. But that was the level of optimism I received from at least one person in the organization. They know the guy's a home run hitter, and they want to get him as many touches as possible as soon as possible. Um, but again, let's see how he looks in camp. Um, let's see. You got two questions on Colt McCoy, Dahl Erickson, and Troy Lewis. Um, basically, one was Dahl want to know about is if if I think that Colt is annoyed that he's not really being his name isn't being thrown as much into the starting competition job as it is for Dwayne Haskins and Case Keenum. Well, I haven't really talked to Colt directly about that. He's hurt, so that's why he's not being mentioned as much right now. And I also think that his history plays works against him. You can't help the fact that the, he's he's hurt a lot. And I know he kind of looks at it like he's not injury prone. He's just he has some freak injuries or whatever. The bottom line is the durability has been an issue. Now, do I know if he's annoyed that he's not his name isn't thrown in there more by more people? I haven't again. I haven't talked to him directly about that. I would imagine that yes, he is. I know that Colt McCoy is a fierce competitor. So yeah, I think he would probably definitely be annoyed. But he also knows that he is going to have a chance at the starting job. And that and goes to Troy's question. Um, is Colt really a, a legitimate starter for or in this comp? Is he legitimately in this competition? And I would say yes, because they do like and respect Colt McCoy there. But again, one thing you have to always keep in mind is that every time they've had a chance to go to a different quarterback and McCoy's been on the roster, they've gone with somebody else. Will that happen again? I don't know, but I do think that the durability works against him. You got Haskins, um, and you know Keenum has had a, a more experience starting lately. But I do believe that Colt McCoy is a, is a serious uh, challenger for this job because of his knowledge of this offense, because of the respect he has in the organization and among his teammates. Um, you know, but I, again, Askins is ultimately the guy. It's just a matter of when. And then it goes. To, um, what should they just have Colt open up on the on pu- the pup list for camp? I don't know that you would. I mean, I, everything we've heard is that he should be fine by training camp. So if that's the case, there's no reason to do that. Um, so, you know, we'll, I, we still have more to learn there. But the, the plan has been that he'll be healthy for training camp. Um, let's go. I got one from Spider Strick. I'm going to read this one. How likely are the skins to rely a little more on K- K- uh, Kevin O'Connell's similar philosophies to Ryan Day and incorporate more of what Haskins did at OSU or Chip Colley's philosophies? They seem to do more RPO with Alex than they have under Jay before. Will that continue? Um, I do believe that that will continue with the philosophy with the RPOs because that's something Haskins did a lot at Ohio State. You can't just run what somebody did at, at, in college because the games evolve. As a student at Ohio when I went to school or anybody else went to school, what you study in your major, you evolve and you do different things because you're capable of more. So, yes, they, will, they run some similar concepts, the mesh concepts and all that. Um, you know, they do do the RPOs. Ohio State was heavier on that. But keep in mind with some of the concepts they're doing at Ohio State, they're doing it with supremely talented guys 
um, who are winning their battles. So you could do some different things knowing that guys are going to win. It's harder to do that with the Redskins because you don't have those kind of that kind of talent around him, and I think that's going to lead to some issues. But yes, I would expect some similar philosophies. Um, O'Connell is very tight with is, is tight with um, Chip Kelly, um, but he also is tight with Quincy Avery, who has worked with. Uh, Dwayne Haskins so I think he'll get some good insight there as well but they have definitely have their own plans and you you will incorporate some of what he did there because it's only smart to do so it won't be the exact same thing obviously but I would expect there a lot of that to continue um, this season Scott Moore want to know and this is a personal one for me um, do I find myself double checking articles to avoid an OSU bias absolutely not because I don't I don't feel like there is one, you know, when, when, you know, I obviously went to Ohio state and Haskins and Terry McLaurin did, I've done this for 25 years. If I feel like there's any sort of bias, I haven't done my job as a professional and I take a great deal of pride in being a professional and presenting articles in a certain way. Um, I, it's, it'd be the same thing as like, well, do you check yourself if you're writing about a Michigan guy? Hell no. John Jansen was one of my favorite players that I covered and I had a great relationship with him. We joked about it on a Friday. We joked about it on a Thursday if Ohio State won or Michigan won. The other person would joke about or, or would ping the other. But it never carried into the articles. Um, I get along with guys and, and you have relationships with guys that it's irrelevant where they went to school. And just as far as like on the field, what, it, what the Ohio State stuff gives me is a deep base of knowledge of who these players are and what they did in college. But the minute they become professionals, my job is to cover them as professionals. And where I like the school connection is, again, on Fridays when you have a chance to kind of like just chat with guys and I can talk to them and pick them brain about, you know, Ohio State's playing Penn State. What do you think? Or, or whatever, something like that. But I do that with a lot of guys, too. I do that with Chris Thompson about Florida State and other guys like that. So I think it's a good question. But it's not something I'm ever worried about because I've done this long enough to shelve those biases at the door or anything like that. The one reason I don't cover Ohio State, I never wanted to cover Ohio State, is because I want to continue being a fan of that team. But that's different than covering guys who went there. There are a lot of guys who played at Ohio State. I didn't think were very were very good players. Maybe I didn't like them as players or whatever. But that would never creep into my coverage as well. You'll never be able to tell what I truly think of a person in my articles. And that goes for someone from Ohio State or anybody because you develop a personal relationship with these guys um, as well outside of their schools. But um, it is it's it was fun to watch these guys in college. But once they step into this field, it's a lot different. Okay, I've gone over my limit, but I did want to get one more question. What This is from Jackson Didlake. What are the barbecue moves this summer? And that's, a, again, another personal one for me because I love that one. I'm going to give you one tip. If you have kids, do the grilled banana splits. Here's what you do. You, you keep the banana in the peel. You slice it down the middle in half. Take some melted butter. Drizzle it in there. Put some chocolate chips in there. Wrap that in tin foil. Put it on the grill for about 8 to 10 minutes. Take it off. Put the ice cream in there. The ice cream starts to melt within there. It's fantastic. Do whatever you want to do with the banana split, but it is really good, and the kids will love it. Up next, former NFL scout Tyler Roman is going to share his insight on players that he scouted the last two years that the Redskins have drafted, some lower-round guys who could factor into the Redskins season this year. And now I'm joined by a former NFL scout, Tyler Roman, young guy, up and coming, you know, somebody that I think you're going to want to pay attention to once he gets established on Twitter. But 
he knows how to look at guys. And I want to bring his knowledge here because he can talk about guys that we haven't talked enough about yet, guys who could factor into the Redskins' future. So, Tyler, first of all, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Sure. And so I want to let's let's start with a couple guys I think that are going to be could be important this year out of this draft class. Um, and for obvious reasons, Cole Holcomb could be one of those guys. And like that, you know, Reuben Foster goes down. And I know when they drafted Cole that there was a thought that he might be able to compete for a starting job because there's not there wasn't enough established inside there. So what is your scouting report on Cole Holcomb? Well, uh, after watching the uh, last couple games of him, I watched four games of uh, 2018 um, from playing Cali, TU, Pitt, and Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. And I really like him. I think he's a good, um, definitely a good value in the fifth round. Uh, he has really good pursuit angles. I can tell he's a good feel for the game. Um, that 4-3 or 4-4 speed definitely showed on tape. Um, but obviously some players, you know, they run that time. It doesn't show up on game film. But him, I definitely could see it. Um, sure tackler for sure. Uh, I think he's a good player. I think a couple uh, – downfalls of him is that I think he can get a little bit stronger. He's to fight off blocks a little better. Once he get once a lineman gets his hands on him, he's he's fighting to get off of it. So I think he needs to improve in that aspect. And coverage uh, can be a little iffy for him, but um, I think it definitely has the potential to get better there with some coaching, um, especially at the NFL level. Um, not a great blitzer, per se, at this point in his career, but obviously something he can improve on um, as he gets more seasoned in the league and um but you know bottom line i think he could, he could start for the team um, especially now with ruben um down for the rest of the year um i think he if with a good d lineman in front of him especially with ron Payne and jonathan allen and ionitis i think he'd be great um with that uh four uh front four in front of him i think he'd be an impactful player at the very least maybe the spot starter spot starter at first but i think he definitely contribute and like you said compete for a job now with uh ruben down so you're that high that you think he could do it this year? I think so. I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, I, obviously I like Sean Dion, and I think he should definitely be one of the starters and, you know, maybe mm-hmm. he's been with the team for the last couple of years. And I think he, you know, has the right to start. And I know he's a leader um, the last couple of years. But, you know, I think he has a chance. I, I don't see why not. If he has, uh, I know Josh Harvey Clem is going to come down on come in on passing downs. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, you know, I think he has a, definitely a first and second down makeup from you know, right away, especially if you can show it in preseason. I don't see why he can at least contribute, um, you know, at least get a shot in there. I think he has the potential to do it. One guy who's kind of made a little bit of noise since the draft just because I think he's a guy that a lot of people like. Um, Jimmy Moreland, small guy, productive at JMU. What's your take? Jimmy, yeah, I like him. I like him. I think he's a player for us, for the team. I think he uh, – seventh-round value is amazing. Uh, he His ball skills are awesome. Awesome. You know, it's evident of the 18 interceptions he had uh, back at JMU. And he has some versatility in there to play inside and outside. And obviously the inside position for the team is uh, up for grabs. You know, Fabian Murrell played it last year. But, um, you know, I think I think he's a better outside corner. So I think maybe he can play slot for the team. And uh, I definitely have a little fire to him. He's definitely not afraid to mix it up. Even uh, he uh, week one last year he played against NC State. And uh, now uh, current wrestling, Calvin Harmon. And he mm-hmm. was going at him and uh, definitely had some fight in between him. I like that. And, um like I said, ball skills are there. Um, definitely a good man coverage uh, player for sure. Can play his own. Um, great break on the ball. So I, I really like him. I think he definitely can uh, contribute right away. And uh, I think he, Jay had some nice uh, praise for him the last couple of days at OTAs. And I think he uh, is a steal in the seventh round, honestly. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's I have enjoyed, we've only seen him a couple times, but I've enjoyed watching him out there. He is a small guy. Is that a concern? Um, yeah. Uh, to an extent, but I think he plays bigger than his size. Like I said, he's I not agree. afraid to 
uh, mix it up, um, especially in the run game. Uh, even um, against uh, ECU, I think it was uh, his uh, junior, he had 11 tackles. So he's not afraid to get in there and uh, make a play on the ball. And I think, yes, I know smaller corners are not the rage of the NFL is and how everyone wants a big, lanky guy like the Greedy Williams this past draft. But, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, I don't think it's going to be too much a detriment. I mean, I think you had guys like Antoine Winfield um, who played, what, 15 years in the career. One side. of my so favorites. Nothing can be done. So I think I, I think I don't think it's going to be too too much of a deterrent for him. One of the, one of the areas, obviously, the trouble spots for the Redskins was left guard. And they signed Eric Flowers. And I'll be honest, the first time we saw him at OTAs, the problems that I saw of him on film, bending over way too much at the waist, you saw that in the first OTA practice. So he's got to transition. You give him time and all that. Can Wes Martin, from what you saw of him in college, could he challenge for that starting job right away, you think? Is he good enough? I think so. I mean, I think so. I mean, he played in a big conference in the Big Ten, and obviously not a historic football program in Indiana, but, I mean, even if you look at the stats, he allowed, you know, I think one sack in the last two years. So um, I think his pass blocking is there. Um, he could be a little stiff sometimes with the run game and you know, not maybe not the best puller. But, you know, I think based on what this team has, I don't see how he can't be much better than, like you said, Eric Flowers or the incumbents that are already on the, the roster. So um, I think, you know, another good another good pick for the team. And I think if he's not starting, I definitely think he could compete, compete for it right away. And um, But like I said, with the status on the team, I think he definitely has a shot to uh, – start from day one how one of the knocks or one of the things you wondered about him too is like you know is is he more does he just play in, in the in the quote-unquote phone booth area did you have any issue with him and that his ability to be able to play a little bit more lateral and, and move a little bit yes i mean i definitely think it's something he could work on um yeah it, it was a little bit of a concern but you know everything else is there like i said i i think that he I know run game is what the team's going to be predicated on. I think sure. for success-wise, whoever the quarterback is, whether it be Dwayne or Keenum, mm-hmm. but um, I think it can be a little bit concerning. I think, but eventually, like I said, it's it's not too much of a deterrent for him to go going forward. I, I like the player, and overall, um, it's he's a good prospect. And like I said, I think he, he should start from day one. Like I said, a little bit of a concern, but nothing I think that would you know hold him back from okay. starting day one. One of the guys that I think could be a factor this summer. I'll be, I'm curious to see his development. I don't know how much you were able to watch him because he was a supplemental draft guy. He's Adonis Alexander. Did you get a chance to study him much? Uh, yes, a little bit. And also, um, being a Virginia Tech football fan, I, uh, so you got I did get to okay. watch a lot of him. I got to watch a lot of him on TV and game film. And I like I like Adonis. I think he is a um, loads of potential. Loads of potential. Definitely strictly an outside corner. I don't really see him in the slot. Um, even played some safety in college. And, you know, I think with the depth of safety, I think I think it's something the team could explore at the very least to be a backup um, at safety if we need just to have more versatility in the back end. But I, I like him a lot. He uses his length very well, um, very good ball skills too. Um, had numerous interceptions at Tech where it was basically a tough catch, and uh, he was able to come down with it. And like I said, I think he is good. Uh, I think he's a better man corner um, per se. But I mean, either way, I think he, I like him a lot. And like I said, uh, he came in, you know, as a supplemental pick, so a little bit. Raw and like I said, we didn't see him play very much at all last year. But I think, uh, especially with uh, an experienced EB coach with um, Horton coming, Ray Horton coming, I think hopefully he can take his game to another level. But overall, yes, I think he's a good prospect for the team. Okay, two, two couple more guys. Um, and again, they, you know, because of safety depth, Troy Apke, fourth round pick last year. Were you surprised where he went? And do you think he's a guy who could be a future starter? Uh, yeah, with, with Askey, um, I, I was very surprised when the team selected him or any team selected him that high in the fourth. Um, based on game, game film that I watched, uh, I think he was more of a sixth or seventh rounder. Um, I didn't. I think one of the biggest concerns you have with a guy like that or any guy like that is that 
when you don't start or play significant time to your senior year, and obviously there's other cases um, or factors that go into it, but I think it's, you know, one red flag for me is that, you know, if you don't really play to your senior year, I'd like to see him have four years of, you know, action, and he really didn't. And, um, you know, I really don't – I don't really see him as a starter in the, in the NFL. Maybe he can get you through a game or two if needed, but I think it just – he – he thinks too much out there. He's cut off, cut off um, in a position and coverage a lot. Um, I think he he's not the best tackler. Um, and also, I think you can give that to him, I guess, basically, because I think he came to Penn State as a receiver, so he's relatively new to the position. Um, but I think where he can, his money can be made is special teams. And I think because that speed shows, right. you know, it, it's not much thinking going down to special teams, run down the field and uh, hit someone or make a play. So I think, you know, from what games on my watch, and I even rewatched the last couple of days going back to the team here because obviously he had much film in the league last year, um, is that I think he's definitely more of a backup rotational player, a special team core player for you. I really don't see Aski as a starter. And the last guy I want to ask you about, because he's another guy who's going to factor. I mean, you have two offensive tackles who have injury histories, and they just lost their primary backup in Ty Seki. So Jerron Christian coming off an injury – when we watched him last year in camp, I mean, he looked like he was a little ways away. But he did he go – he was a um, third-round pick. So did he go around when you thought, and what was your report on him? Um, third round, yeah, maybe a little high. Maybe fourth round is where I saw him uh, more. But, you know, I think he definitely needs to get stronger. I think that was even evident. Yeah, that was evident. He's a little bit – he's just very – even compared, I mean, compared to Trent and, and Secchi and Morgan, he looks – not even in the same uh, stratosphere as those guys physically wise. And um, I just think that's, that's evident. And I, I think even in Louisville, you know, watching film with him, something that was very unique that I had not seen too much from doing film is that even in between plays and in between series, they would even switch into left and right, right tackle mm. in between. Um, it was very odd that they would have him play on even during the game and even switch him during the series. I don't know if that was something just in their system or something they wanted him to do. And um, so I, I do like that he has some versatility even going back to Louisville, like right. playing left and right, and that's what we need him to, especially with uh, Inseki gone and having a swing tackle. So, um, you know, I think it's something, if he gets stronger, I think the technique is there. I like he had sound technique at Louisville um, and, uh, you know, good fundamentals to work off of. But, you know, like I said, I, the biggest thing with him is that he needs to get stronger to uh, basically become an NFL body. So I think he's even weighed in even under 300 pounds at the combine, and I think he needs at least add the 15, 20 pounds yeah. to become an effective tackle, at the very least a swing tackle. So um, we definitely need that. We know how Trent, uh, Trent's injury um, history has flared up the last couple of years, and Morgan constantly fights through it, but the swing tackle position is important for this team for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and I agree with you on the strength because that was I think that was evident watching him as well. Tyler, can you tell people where they can find you on Twitter? Um, NFL Scout 21, uh, the N is capitalized NFL. Tyler, I appreciate you joining me. Thanks for the insight. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thanks. Well, that's all I have for you this week. Thank you to former NFL Scout Tyler Roman and ESPN's Lewis Riddick for joining me. Please tune in next week, and thank you for listening.